0: This was not a surprise. Um,
1: Policymakers and healthcare workers have been watching in fear for the last decade or more.
0: Parasites are beginning to change in a way that may make them uh, resistant to Atomicinids, which is one of the malaria medicines.
2: Hello and welcome back to Africa Science Focus, a side of net production. I'm your host, Sally Amutabi. Malaria kills thousands of children in Africa every year. The drug artemisinin is a fast line of defense against the disease which is caused by malaria parasites. Since artemisinin-resistant malaria emerged in Asia, Public health teams in Africa have been on the lookout. Now, researchers in Rwanda have confirmed the discovery of artemisinin-resistant malaria parasites. What does this mean for Africa's battle against malaria? Charles Pensulo reports.
3: For most of us in Africa, malaria is something that comes to our mind on a daily basis. So even though most people I know try to avoid catching malaria, there is always a chance that you can't run away from it. I don't remember really how many times I've suffered from it. The only time that I clearly remember was in 2015 when what I first considered as normal fever turned out to be what the doctors consider a serious level of malaria infection. I was given a hospital bed and loss of medication for three days. Not everyone is lucky. The last time the drug for malaria was changed, after the parasites which caused the disease developed resistance to it, there was a lot of confusion from people and it took time and convincing for the people to start taking it. That is why I received the news of yet again some resistance towards part of the drug combinations with concern.
2: Charles is referring to the drug chloroquine. It was the preferred fast treatment for malaria until resistance developed in Southeast Asia in the 1950s and 60s before spreading to Africa in the 1970s. Professor Karen Burns from the University of Cape Town leads the Worldwide Antimalarial Resistance Network's Southern Africa Regional Centre.
1: We have been watching that situation because we know with chloroquine and with other medicines against malaria, once you get resistance in Asia, sooner or later it reaches Africa. And the interest in the study in Rwanda is because it is very clear proof that artemisinin resistance now exists in Africa. There've been sporadic reports before of the mutations associated with the resistance um, being reported But this study is significant because it shows not only that some of those mutations exist, but that the people that are infected with those malaria parasites with those mutations have been slower at clearing the parasites. And that has the potential of increasing their risk for treatment failure. Fortunately, it's still early days. We haven't yet reached that stage. And the cure rates were still reasonably good. But once you've got a drug that's only partly effective, of course, the chances of that treatment failing with time become a lot higher.
3: Right. Uh, Can you tell me the law uh, that this has played in as far as monitoring the drug resistant uh, malaria is concerned?
1: So great believers, like many people, in evidence based treatment policies. And so we have been looking out for this artemisinin resistance um, in as many um, infections as we've been able to get samples on. And to date, we have not yet identified a case of artemisinin resistance in South Africa. But when we hear these reports getting closer and closer to us, not just the study in Rwanda, but similar findings in northern Uganda, Tanzania and elsewhere, We know that it's only a matter of time where we will be faced with similar questions. Unfortunately, quite a lot of malaria programs are only able to and have only been focused on looking at whether the treatment is effective or not. And that misses the early signs that maybe those mutations are present, but the failure rates haven't got so high yet that you need to change your policy. Um, And so I think one of the things that is important in this study is the take home message for policymakers, not just in South Africa or in Rwanda, but across the sub-Saharan African region, that this is a real present threat and we all need to be monitoring for it. And we need to be using molecular tools as well as clinical tools to make sure that we detect it and manage it and hopefully contain it as soon as humanly possible.
2: Malaria monitoring teams across Africa have reported mutations in malaria parasites, but the study from Rwanda is the first evidence
0: of resistance to artemisinin. We must really define what we mean by artemisinin resistance. My name is uh, Dr. Elizabeth Juma. I work with the WHO as a medical officer in charge of uh, malaria case management, that is the diagnosis, treatment, and follow-up of malaria. It is not a true resistance as such, but a delay in the killing of parasites in response to administration of artemisinins. Malaria is, however, treated using a combination of anti-malarials one of which is an artemisinin. These are called artemisinin-based combination treatments, or ACTs. We detect resistance to malaria medicines in two ways. One, by checking the DNA changes in the parasites that cause malaria, which then makes them resistant to medicine. When we detect them, we call them molecular markers of resistance. But more importantly... We detect resistance by observing patients with malaria who have been confirmed to have malaria and who are treated with these medicines by following them up. So delayed parasite clearance after treatment with an ACT is, of course, of concern to to WHO. However, even as was reported in the Rwanda study, most patients who had this delay following the treatment were actually able to get cured of their infections. This is because the other medicine, the other anti-malarial partnered with the ACT was effective.
2: Africa carries the world's highest malaria burden, with 93% of the world's annual 228 million cases. But there's some good news. A breakthrough vaccine developed by scientists at Burkina Faso's Clinical Research Unit of Nenoro and the University of Oxford is believed to be 77% effective at protecting children against malaria. And a WHO pilot program has delivered a malaria vaccine to more than 650,000 children in Malawi, Kenya and Ghana.
0: Vaccines will become very important as a preventive strategy, but the vaccine currently being tested, we hope that uh, we will get more information on how to deploy it to other countries by the end of the year. But the vaccine is not the answer to to all our problems. The vaccine will be an additional tool, and therefore we need to use what we have effectively to prevent the spread of these parasites, but also just to control and eventually eliminate malaria.
2: The experts agree there is no single solution to eliminating malaria in Africa. Back to Professor Karen Bands in Cape Town.
1: Um, So the steps that should be taken next are to strengthen surveillance activities and make sure that all countries are able to monitor for and are actively monitoring for drug resistance. Whether it's the artemisinin component as seen in Rwanda, or the partner drug, um, we need to know that where the resistance is arising. Some countries have enough malaria and enough resources to be doing this for themselves. Other countries don't, and I think a key thing will be for us to work together as a region. Obviously, we can do more to control the mosquito population to prevent onward transmission of malaria from uh, person to person or household to household. We also have a medicine called Primoquin, which a single dose of it can reduce malaria transmission. And for the patients that are affected by these drug-resistant infections, the experience in Southeast Asia has shown that the best treatment is when, instead of combining two medicines, they combine three medicines, like we have to do for HIV. And that might be the best immediate solution for dealing with drug-resistant, multi-drug-resistant malaria. Um, And then lastly, of course, we all need to continue our efforts to discover and develop new malaria treatments that work in a new way so that um, existing mutations don't result in increased risk of treatment failure.
2: So, are governments following the guidelines and scientific advice? Charles spoke to Dr. Michael Kayange from the National Malaria Control Program at the Health Ministry in his home country, Malawi.
4: We have several interventions that we use to control and eliminate malaria, some of which are the distribution of uh, the bed nets, the implementation of the indoor residual spraying, um, the case management that we do in all the health facilities, both public and private. We also do uh, health promotion trying to educate Malawians on how they can prevent malaria. We do also monitor the effectiveness of the malaria baseline treatment. According to WHO, we monitor that every two years through a survey, which we call Drug Efficacy Study. The results uh, were released uh, towards the end of 2020, and they show that uh, the efficacy of the first line treatment is going down if we decide to change the first line treatment it will be done so uh, upon thorough consultation and it will be the decision of the ministry uh, in the interest of malawians
2: dr michael kayange ending today's report on anti-malarial resistance now it is over to you Akin octavia for a q and segment Sounds like Joaquin wants to know more about the application of chemistry outside the classroom.
3: Hi, Africa Science Focus. I'm Joaquin Octavia, a student at Henry Henderson Institute. My question is, why is nitrogen gas used in oil tankers
1: only? Hello, my friends at Henry Henderson Institute and um, African Science. Why we use hydrogen gas in tankers uh i want to point out that that's not the only place where hydrogen gas is used it's even used in the kitchen in cooking it's used in vehicles and um, hydrogen vehicles travel longer can travel longer distances than electric vehicles but the reason why it is used in oil and gas
3: industries because it's used for porging for cleansing and cleaning the tankers or the pipeline, and this is because nitrogen is non-combustible, so there is little or no chance of anything going up in flames. That is why it is.
2: Great question, Joaquin. and thanks to Obasi, Alan Nolua for helping get to the bottom of it. For more episodes from Africa Science Focus, go to www.sidev.net or subscribe and leave a review on your favorite podcast app. Today's program was produced by Harrison Lewis, the editors were Fiona Broom and Jackie opara with reporting from Charles Pensolo. I'm Sally Almutabi. See you next Wednesday. This program was funded by the European Journalism Centre through the European Development Journalism Grants Programme with support from the Bill and Melina Gates Foundation.